Also, we are on iTunes and Spotify. Make sure to sign up over there if you haven't already. If you guys want to listen to a podcast on your way to work or on your way home, you can do that on iTunes and Spotify. We finally got that up and running. Suzette, what's up? I see you out there in the chat, always on time. Thank you for being such a loyal and supportive Wilf. Now, before we get started, I want to give you guys a little PSA out there. Make sure that you don't refer to anybody as a Chad, red-pilled, or based in the chat, because those are now flagged as extremist terms by the FBI, and you don't want to be put on any watch list, okay? So be careful out there. Um, Yeah, isn't that ridiculous? I saw that. I I mean, it's no surprise, but uh, yeah, you're not allowed to even refer to anything as red-pilled, based, at all anymore, or you are now put on an FBI watch list and labeled a domestic extremist. Now, we know that the real domestic terrorists are the FBI and the DOJ and the Biden administration, but we live in an ass-backwards world where anybody who challenges the regime or tries to uh, wake up a so-called normie, that's another term that you're not allowed to use anymore, um, you are now flagged as, as as a domestic terrorist. And so that really leads us into... One of the big stories that we're going to talk about today, which is all about the persecution of somebody who stood up to the regime, and that is Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters. Now, you might have saw this news yesterday. Tina Peters was sentenced uh, to four years of, uh, not four years, four months of home detention. She's also being forced to do about 120 hours of community service and pay a $750 fine for obstructing official proceedings. Now, we know Tina Peters is an American hero, a gold star mom, and she's become a martyr for courageously taking forensic images of the Dominion machines before and after a trusted build, uh, which we found out due to her uh, courageousness was an effort for the, um, the Secretary of State Jenna Griswold and Dominion to basically delete all the evidence of election engineering. Um, so since she decided to take that courageous step and take those forensic images and then reveal them at Mike Lindell's Cyber Symposium, she has been targeted and she's become a victim of political persecution in the same way that they've been after Donald Trump and many other people in this, uh, you know, anybody that's questioned the 2020 election has been targeted. Um, So she was sentenced yesterday, but unfortunately, this is only the beginning, okay, What she was sentenced for yesterday had to do with an obstruction charge, but she still has 10 felonies, no, 7 felonies and 3 misdemeanors over her head for taking those forensic images. And we'll get get into all the details. Um, We're also going to talk about a story published by the Gateway Pundit today, which hits on something we've talked about before on this channel, but goes into much greater detail. And I think this is a great opportunity to really, really raise awareness about something, um, this, this, these Albert sensors, which is a nefarious technology that's been deployed all across the country in almost every voting jurisdiction, and practically nobody knows about these things. Now, these Albert sensors, um, they are being supplied by a nonprofit organization, which is also behind the collaboration between state actors and these big tech companies. And the censorship that we're that we've seen exposed uh, by Matt Taibbi and you know Elon Musk on Twitter, this all ties in together. It's this incestual web of corruption, and um, 
you know, this this could indicate these Albert sensors. This could indicate exactly how the deep state somehow knows on election night exactly how many fraudulent votes are needed uh, to rig an election. There's a lot to unpack in this story, and I hope that I do it justice so that I can, you know, help you guys understand this because it's a little complicated, but I'm going to do my best. Um, and if, if I do a good job, it's really going to make your head spin. So we'll get into all this, but first, make sure to smash that like button and check out nicklovesgold.com. Uh, with the war in Ukraine, inflation going through the roof, and the country being $32 trillion in debt, things are not looking too good for the future, and it's really starting to look like 2008 all over again, and it could get a lot worse, so don't wait until it's too late. If you have $50,000 or more saved for retirement, then talk to our friends over at Gold Co., they're patriots like you and me, and they've, helped, they've already helped thousands of Americans use an IRS loophole to protect their retirement savings from everything that's going on. Visit nicklovesgold.com right now to get your free IRS loophole kit and see how you could protect your retirement savings. You could get up to $10,000 in free silver just for doing it. We could be looking at a future worse than 2008, so don't wait. Go to nicklovesgold.com. That's nicklovesgold.com. All right. Now, again, be sure to smash that like button. Uh, We did pretty good yesterday. We had almost 300 likes, which really made me happy. And, uh, you know, we could do do even better than that. Come on, guys, click that like button. All right, now let's get into talking about this. Now, this story, it really, honestly, it just pisses me off to see a gold star mom like Tina Peters um, be persecuted like this. It it, it really is heart-wrenching because the only thing that she did was her civic and patriotic duty to preserve the election evidence which is by law supposed to be preserved for a period of 22 months okay but ever since she did that they have been coming after her okay and so yesterday she was sentenced um to home detention for a period of four months she was uh she's forced to do 120 hours of community service and pay a 750 dollar fine for obstructing an official proceeding however Tina's attorneys are going to immediately appeal this decision, and the judge said that he's going to um, issue a stay on the sentence pending the appeal. So she's not going to be put on house arrest um, until the uh, appeals court reaches a decision. And there's still a chance that this sentence could be overturned and, and Tina could be vindicated. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm not holding my breath on that. Now, Mike Lindell was pretty cheerful when he heard that Tina isn't being given any jail time. Um, And I guess this is good news to some degree, considering that the prosecutors were asking for the maximum penalty, which did include jail time. They wanted to make an example out of her. Now, the judge didn't go for that. He didn't uh, sentence her to jail. But he also didn't go easy on her by any stretch of the imagination. This obstruction charge that she was convicted of a few months back Um, is a low-level misdemeanor. And Tina Peters is a first-time offender. She has absolutely no criminal record apart from the the charges that she's been hit with since she took those forensic images. Not to mention she's a gold star mom. You know, she lost her son. She's also a public servant. Um, And so considering her character, her stature, and the fact that she has no criminal record, you know, being charged with a low-level misdemeanor and getting put on house arrest for four months, I think is a pretty steep penalty. And I really hope that this gets overturned on appeal. Now, here's the problem. I see a lot of people saying, 
you know, thank God Tina's not going to jail. This is this is great news. Like I said, you know, Mike Lindell was really ecstatic about this. Uh, he, you know, he actually clapped on on War Room yesterday because, you know, a lot of people think this is it. That's that's they've they've reached a decision. They reached a verdict, and Tina's going to get a few months of house arrest, and that's it. However, that's not the case. Uh, this is only the beginning. This sentencing yesterday has to do with a totally separate grand jury investigation um, into an obstruction charge, which she was found guilty on because she refused to turn over her iPad to law enforcement. Um, If you remember, she was accused of of illegally recording a court proceeding, and law enforcement issued a warrant to seize her iPad. Uh, You know, during, during the court proceeding, the judge called her out and asked if she was recording, to which she said no, and multiple eyewitnesses said that they saw her recording on her iPad. So they issued a warrant for her iPad, and officers bum-rushed her while she was at a bagel shop. And you probably saw the video where she was fighting uh, not to turn it over. She didn't want to hand it over to law enforcement. So they charged her with obstruction, and that's what yesterday's sentence was about. So just because she's not going to jail for the obstruction charge doesn't mean that she's in the clear. Um, there's still 10 charges over her head, seven of which are felonies, three of which are misdemeanors, and include charges of conspiracy, of identity theft, misconduct, and so the, the jury still hasn't, hasn't reached a decision in that other grand jury investigating her for taking the forensic images, okay? Now, the problem that Tina Peters has is that, one, the judge in that, you know, presiding over the other case really has it out for her and wants her in jail. And not only that, but her deputy clerk pled guilty, took a plea deal, and uh, has agreed to, to cooperate with law enforcement to take down Tina Peters. Take a look at this. Tina Peters' deputy clerk pleads guilty, will cooperate with investigation into her boss. Prosecutors looking to build their case against Mesa County clerk Tina Peters have gained a potentially important asset in their investigation. The cooperation of Peters' uh, deputy clerk, Belinda Nicely. On Thursday, Nicely pled guilty to three misdemeanor charges regarding her role in the breach of Mesa County's election machines last year. In return for dropping significant charges against her, Nicely has agreed to assist prosecutors. Um, <clears throat> so, Peters, Nicely, and Brown have been accused of deceiving employees of the Secretary of State's office by creating an employee badge in the name of a local man, Gerald Wood, and allowing a different person, Conan Hayes, who I have told you guys before, I believe is a... Uh, FBI informant. This guy Conan Hayes. I I don't I don't trust him one bit. This is the you guys know how I feel about Dennis Montgomery and the and the PCAPs. Um, how I believe he's an FBI asset. Well, Conan Hayes is the main liaison between Mike Lindell and all his people and Dennis Montgomery, or at least he was at the time that I was investigating all of this, the PCAP debacle. So Conan Hayes is kind of a suspect. Um, to me. Now, other people disagree, but I maintain that Conan Hayes 
uh, p- potentially may have set up uh, Tina Peters and attempted to set up many other county clerks. That's my opinion. You can, you know, you can have your own opinion, but that's my opinion. So, <clears throat> so uh, Conan Hayes effectively got Peters and Nicely and Brown to get these forensic images by using the identity of another man um, and using a, a badge that was created to um, take to to get in to get a- access and take the forensic images. Now, in the process of pleading guilty, nicely, the one that took the plea deal said that all of her actions were directed by somebody else. She said that all of her actions were directed by Tina Peters. So she effectively threw her under the bus and said, this was my boss. She told me to do this. And so you can, you know, throw the book at her and I'll, I'll walk free, right? <clears throat> she says, I was told to submit a, a request to HR for someone to receive a badge, and that's what I did. Now, get this. This is where you get the, the I, this is where you, this is where I got the idea that the judge has it out for her, uh, for Tina Peters, because listen to what he had to say about her plea agreement. Judge Matthew Barrett said, he has some hesitation about this plea agreement, telling nicely her crimes are worthy of incarceration and that he would have sentenced her to jail time if possible. And he chastised her for blaming Peters for her actions instead of taking full responsibility. So this judge was mad that she took a plea deal because he wanted to throw her ass in jail nicely. So if he wants to throw her ass in jail, you can bet you can bet your bottom dollar he wants to throw Tina Peters in jail as well. He wanted to he wanted to throw both of them in the slammer. The judge said, these facts are both troubling and alarming. You engaged in concrete acts to undermine the integrity of our democratic process in the guise of protecting it. You abdicated your role as a clerk. You violated your oath and you betrayed your duty. The district attorney had reiterated his support for the plea and said he was persuaded that Nicely wasn't acting on her own volition. She was acting at the direction of Miss Peters and this was Miss Peters' agenda, and Miss Peters was her boss. That does not execute it, excuse it, but it certainly is, I think, a mitigator as to the sentencing. So again, nicely already flipped on Tina Peters and became, um, you know, she took a plea deal. She's willing to throw Tina Peters under the bus, and the judge that wanted to throw both of them in jail now has to, um, I, you know. Uh, nicely gets to to get off scot-free basically and so he's going to direct all of that hatred and vitriol that he was going to um he was going to he was going to punish both of them now he can only punish tina peters he's probably going to throw the book at her just to be honest with you and they're they're doing everything in their power to try to put tina peters in prison and the reason is simple so that no one ever dares to stand up to the regime and expose the rigged election system ever again. That's what communist regimes do. When you stand up to the regime, they punish you to the fullest extent of the law. But when you aid and abet the regime, then you can commit crimes against humanity um, and, and, and face no consequences whatsoever. And so I think this is just the beginning of... of of I just I think that this, things are going to get a lot worse for Tina Peters. That's just me being honest, and I believe that we owe our utmost respect and gratitude to Tina Peters for 
for putting it all on the line, putting our freedom on the line. You know, you guys saw that presentation from Mark Cook recently where he exposed that you can flip an election on a Dominion machine with the click of a button or a USB drive or a cell phone. All of that was revealed based on the forensic images taken by Tina Peters. You saw the the Mesa 3 report from Jeff O'Donnell. Uh, You learned that when Dominion comes in to do a trusted build, they're actually coming in to destroy the evidence. We wouldn't know any of that if it weren't for Tina Peters. And they have, they have, let's think about it. You know, they've charged her with um, seven felonies, three misdemeanors, and an obstruction charge. They banned her from overseeing the Mesa County's 2021 election. Um, And by charging her, you know, Jenna Griswold weaponizing her office to attack Tina Peters, they effectively interfered with her campaign for Secretary of State by slapping her with all these indictments. They rigged the election against her for the director of Mark Zuckerberg's CTCL, Pam Anderson. We all saw the demonstrations from Jeff O'Donnell where the votes were completely flipped. And we know that that election was rigged because there's no way in hell that Republicans would vote for a secretary of state in the primaries that um, was the director of Mark Zuckerberg's CTCL. There's no way. Not to mention, Tina Peters uh, raised twice as much money as Pam Anderson. I mean, we know that election was fraudulent. And they also refused to allow her to inspect the ballots after they rigged the election, despite the fact that she put up money for it. So, I mean, they, they, they're, 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 they're going to do everything in their power to uh, persecute her and make an example out of her. Just like, you know, we're seeing across the board. They're, they're, they're doing it to Donald Trump. They're, they're, there's an effort to sanction Carrie Lake and her attorneys and all these other attorneys that have brought election challenges. And this is what they do in communist regimes. This is what they do. Now, we're going to move on to the next story. But uh, first, please make sure to smash that like button. And and also, uh, just so you guys know, we're going to fire up another live stream over on Locals immediately after this show. And we're going to talk about Roger Stone coming out and and basically saying that there's um, a chance that Trump could select RFK Jr. as a VP as sort of a unity ticket. And so I want to give you guys my thoughts on that. I know I've talked about it a little bit already, but I want to expand upon that. Now, let's talk about... A major story, a major story. This, I mean, I feel like the Gateway Pundit published this story, and it's a little bit all over the place and hard to follow. But there's some nuggets in this story. This is huge. This story was co-authored, by the way, by David and Aaron Clements, uh, two election integrity warriors out in New Mexico that you've probably seen on this show once or twice. And this is all about these Albert censors, which, if you don't know... Albert sensors are these little black box devices that have been deployed in almost every voting jurisdiction across the country. And when I say black box, it means kind of like the Dominion machines where nobody's allowed to look at the source code. These Albert sensors, nobody exactly knows what the hell they do. And because they're supplied by a nonprofit organization, they are pretty much uh, exempt from oversight. So nobody can really, of course, when, when that's how they do this, whenever they are, um, whenever they're implementing something like, like how Runbeck prints the ballots in Maricopa County, like, you know, Dominion, they are a private company. They always outsource the fraud 
to a to a, a a third party entity so that they're exempt from oversight and this is no different <clears throat> now what these albert sensors are advertised as is they're a device to monitor the network traffic in all these voting jurisdictions and and function like an alert system so if somebody were to try to hack in and manipulate an election these albert sensors are supposed to monitor the traffic pick up on that and then alert the county officials so that they can mitigate the threat. But, you know, these things have already been proven to be unreliable. You know, after they were implemented, I think this county, Lincoln County, actually had a massive data breach, and they had the Albert sensors, but the Albert sensors didn't alert them at all. So they didn't even work. (laughs) They didn't do what they were advertised to do. So for all we know, they don't even do what what they don't even monitor and mitigate um, hacking. But there's also some very very concerning details about these Albert sensors that the public needs to be aware of. First of all, like I said, they're provided by a nonprofit organization called the Center for Internet Security, which is a nonprofit group stationed in New York uh, with like 300 employees and a 51 million dollar budget. And they are funded primarily by the Department of Homeland Security. So as you know, CISA um, CISA is a subsidiary of the DHS. And the CIS is kind of a subsidiary of CISA. Okay? Now, what they did after the 2016 election is they went around to all the voting jurisdictions and basically strong-armed them into signing an agreement to allow them to implement these Albert sensors. And these Albert sensors were completely free. So previously, the the counties, the voting jurisdictions, they would have to pay for their own cybersecurity, which could cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so they're like, oh, so you're going to do all this for us for free. Okay. All right. That sounds good. But in, in exchange for providing this service, they had to sign a memorandum which gives the CIS complete unfettered access to virtually all of the voting equipment, the data, the network traffic, the computers, the IP addresses, the passwords, literally everything. They had to sign over uh, the, the, the memorandum agreement. A portion of it is actually in this article. And I'm just going to read you a quote. The MOA requires the entity accepting its services to provide notice to its employees and contractors that they, quote, have no reasonable expectation of privacy regarding communications or data transiting stored on or traveling to or from the Secretary of State County Information Systems and any communications or data uh, transiting stored on or traveling to or from the Secretary of State County Information System may be monitored, disclosed, or used for any lawful government purpose. So they make them sign a waiver, waiving your right to to any expectation of privacy. They give them access to everything. Everything. Okay, now, now again, these Albert sensors, they monitor the network traffic. Okay, and they, they take all of this data, and it goes from the county to a central command in Albany, New York, right? And so my theory on this 
is that all of this data being transmitted to a central command center in Albany, New York, to a nonprofit organization funded by the Department of Homeland Security. I think this is exactly how they know exactly how many fraudulent ballots they need in an election. Because these things, given the fact that they've been deployed all across the country in almost every voting jurisdiction, means that they track something like 98% of votes in real time via these Albert sensors. And again, I don't think it's a coincidence that they really started pumping these things out after Trump got elected after the 2016 election. I think they had a few of these things in the deep blue jurisdictions, but after Trump got elected, they quadrupled the amount of Albert sensors at rapid speed. And they did all of that under the guise of Russia collusion. If you guys remember, and we've talked about the significance of this before, okay, but (coughs) just before Trump was inaugurated, the DHS designated election systems as critical infrastructure under the Russia, Russia, Russia guise, okay? Now, when they did that, when the Obama administration designated election systems as critical infrastructure, it allowed the federal government to gain jurisdiction in state-run elections. So previously, the federal government had no business whatsoever in state-run elections. But after they designated the voting equipment as critical infrastructure, it allowed them to infiltrate the state-run elections, right? And so, in 2018, then they created CISA, CISA, which is the agency that is supposed to protect us from cyber attacks, election interference from Russia and stuff like that, which is which was totally bogus. So they created a false narrative and then they created a separate agency to protect us from something that clearly didn't even exist. Now, CIS, the Center for um, Internet Security, CIS, um by the way, is also one of the main groups behind the collusion between big tech and government, okay? So remember what Elon Musk exposed, this massive, massive uh, collaboration between private enterprise and government, where behind the scenes, Twitter had set up these, these, these portals between state actors and these private companies, Twitter, Facebook, and all the others, where they could actually, uh, you know, state actors, secretaries of state, could actually flag what they deemed misinformation through a portal, right? Now, and so guess who was mitigating all of that? That was the Center for Internet Security, along with other groups like the Election Integrity Partnership and all this. So think about this for a second. Think about this. The CIS... This gigantic nonprofit organization, they have implemented these Albert sensors all over the place so that they're monitoring in real time all of the data traffic, all of the the, the votes on election night. They have the ability um, to, to possibly change votes for all we know because this is a black box software that no one really knows what it's doing. You know, we, we know that they say these Albert sensors, all they do is monitor data, but we don't know that for sure. For, for all we know, these Albert sensors could uh, alter data, change data, 
they could mimic a, a vote being scanned and sent to the system. They can add votes as many as they want to any particular candidate, right? So they have, for all we know, they have that capability. At the very least, they have the ability to monitor in real time the election results, um, you know, and give the signal to state actors to, uh, you know, dump 100,000 fake votes or, or whatever, right? At the same time, they also have this massive conglomerate where they're able to silence anybody who calls them out. They have, they have an entire apparatus for censorship that they can weaponize against the people that catch on to this and call them out. This is insane. This is, a, this is an incestual, massive, gigantic web of corruption that will make your head spin, and I hope that I've done it justice to explain it. Now, it actually gets worse because the CIS is actually attempting to expand their reach into, into other election software. Now, I have to credit Jennifer Asper for sending this to me and uh, sounding the alarm here. But what the, what, the, what the CIS, the Center for Internet Security, is up to, they launched this after the 2020 election. Um, and it, it's, it's finally coming to fruition. Okay, what the CIS is doing right now is they're trying to expand their reach into other election software. What they're doing is they're running a pilot program called the RAB-E-TV. Is that what it's called? Yeah, RAB-E-TV, okay? And what they're doing is they're getting a bunch of election technology providers, including ESNS, as you can see over here, Runbeck, No Inc., which is an electronic poll book provider. They're getting all of these election technology providers to, to offer them unfettered access to their voting technology and allow them to do source code analysis and penetration testing and all this stuff. And the reason is because the CIS wants to effectively become the EAC of non-voting election technology. Right? So you know the EAC. Um, what what they do is they... they Test they, they, they send out Pro V&V and SLI compliance to test the actual voting equipment, the Dominion machines, the ESNS, the Heart Inner Civic machines. They test them and uh, certify them and say that they're, they're running the proper software and they're safe and secure and all that stuff. Well, what the CIS wants is to effectively become the EAC of non-voting election technology like poll books. They want to create a standardized certification for poll pads um, and other non-voting election technology so that they would be the ones that would test that equipment and certify it, right? Now, here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is that, as you see on the left here, let me zoom in a little bit, um, the CIS... You know, th this published pilot study, they thank the Democracy Fund for its generous financial support in developing and piloting the RAB-E-TV process and this document's development. Now, the Democracy Fund is a hyper-partisan group that uh, contributed millions of dollars to Mark Zuckerberg's Center for uh, CTCL. 
And so they're funding the CIS in their effort to expand into becoming the um, the standardized tester of non-voting election technology. This is absolutely crazy, ladies and gentlemen. And as I said before, the uh, the Gateway Pundit, they, they, they published an article about this, and I feel like it's a little bit confusing. There's so many different stories all wrapped in one. They do touch on this. They say in early 2020, just as the county was going into lockdown, CIS launched a new program called Rabbi TV for verifying the security of non-voting election technology. Non-voting election technology includes electronic poll books, election night reporting, electronic ballot delivery, etc. You know, and and they go into a little bit of detail, but then it jumps to a whole nother story. So I've parsed through all this, and I I wanted to give you guys a little presentation so you can wrap your mind around yet another way, yet another way that our elections are compromised and how the federal government, the Department of Homeland Security, have infiltrated state-run elections. And I wanted you to very clearly see that this was all implemented under the guise of Russia collusion. A lot of this was happening during the Trump administration between 2016 and 2020, and I just don't think that Trump fully comprehended the the size and the magnitude of the deep state and what they were willing to do to rig the 2020 election against him. Um, because now all of this stuff is in place, and now we have a, a, a communist Joe Biden in office. But this is the, these are the things that are going to be... This is what we're up against in... In, in, in the next election and all subsequent elections, you know, until something something drastic happens. But in the meantime, our power is to expose this stuff, um, FOIA request all the communications between the, you know, CISA and the CIS and all these state actors and put all this stuff on blast. And uh, so that's what, that's what we're doing here in this show. Now, we got 377 people watching... 52 likes, we can do better than that. If you guys wouldn't mind smashing that like button. And what we're going to do now, now that we put these stories out there, is we're going to jump over to Locals, fire up another show, and we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about RFK Jr. potentially being the vice president for Trump in 2024, as Roger Stone has hinted at that uh, as being a possibility. And uh, we'll talk about some other things too, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave that as a surprise. So what you can do is click that red join button. Go to nickmoseeder.locals.com. It's going to be free to watch. You don't have to be a $5 supporter, um, but you can be. And that would be really cool. But you don't have to be, which is, you know, which is cool of me, right? Now, okay, so we're going to shut this down. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. Eastern and Thursday. The schedule we've got going on right now is Monday through Thursday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. So thanks for tuning in and I will see you next time.